1: Welcome to all our first movers around the globe. Great to have you with us this Tuesday and plenty to get into on today's show, including a -a Mar-a-Lago raid, the FBI digging for documents at former President Trump's Florida home. We'll discuss the political implications and the legal message conveyed. And then there's the meme stock trade, the stonk surging, momentum investors remain unafraid and consumer prices paid. Another look at U.S. CPI this week. Will there be a July inflation downgrade? The number surely to be closely read at the Fed. Now from inflation to market hesitation. Take a look at this. U.S. futures softer tech underperforming after a second revenue warning in as many days from the chip sector. This time it's from Micron following NVIDIA's announcement on Monday. Micron shares down 4% pre-market. NVIDIA chipped again after Monday's 6% tumble. Talk about a bad memory. Micron warned on profits just last month, citing a global in memory chips. Now, over in Asia, the Nikkei dragged lower by the tech sector too. Nothing soft about SoftBank's 7% hard landing. It reported a record $23 billion quarterly loss On Monday, and from SoftBank to firmer Brent Oil back on the boil amid reports that Ukraine is suspending the flow of Russian oil to southern Europe due to an issue with transit fee payments by Russia. Sounds like a technical issue with EU sanctions to me. So if we get more on that, we'll provide it for now. Lots to get to today. So let's get straight to the drivers and an unprecedented move. The FBI is searching former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago home in Florida we know it because he announced it, saying in a statement nothing like this has ever happened to a president of the United States before. This unannounced raid on my home was not necessary nor appropriate. Multiple sources telling CNN it's part of an investigation into his handling of White House documents, including classified material.
2: Caitlin Plantz joins us now on this. Caitlin, what more do we know? Well, this really is a situation like we have not seen before. This is apparently part of an ongoing criminal investigation into the handling of presidential documents and possibly classified documents as well. So here's the story that played out yesterday. Yesterday morning, down in South Florida, law enforcement arrived at Mar-a-Lago and they were there for several hours. They were focused on looking at the areas around Trump's offices, around his personal quarters and also looking where documents were were kept. By the end of the day, they had removed boxes, they had removed paper documents, and we even saw last night the president's son, Eric Trump, go on Fox News and say that the purpose of this raid was to corroborate whether or not Donald Trump had any documents in his possession. Now, there has been an existing federal investigation into the handling of classified documents after the Trump presidency. We haven't heard a lot out of that investigation for several months, but we do know it's ongoing. This is believed to be part of that. But I should say there's lots of questions that remain unanswered here. We don't know who the target of this investigation is, if there is one at this point, And we really don't know how far along this investigation may be and whether it will result in any criminal charges. Back to you. Yeah. Plenty of questions. Caitlin Plans, thank you so much for that. Okay, let's dig more into this with
1: senior Senior legal analyst and former federal prosecutor, Ellie Honig. Ellie, great to have you with us, as always. You can't just get hold of a search warrant. Can you just explain to us? Because a search warrant has to be approved by a federal judge, and that federal judge has to believe that there's some reasonable cause of a crime having been committed in order to, to allow it. Is that correct?
3: Yes, Julia. So there's a fairly arduous process here. First, the prosecutor has to establish what we call probable cause that a specific federal crime, or more than one crime, was committed. And I've done this many times. You have to write it out in detail, in an affidavit. You can't just go to a judge and say, hey, judge, we have probable cause, take our word for it. Then the federal judge independently reviews that document and has to agree. Sometimes they don't agree, but in this case, clearly a federal judge did review it, did agree that there's probable cause, And signed the search warrant. Now, it's important to note, though, probable cause is not proof beyond a reasonable doubt. That's a much higher legal standard that you would ultimately need to satisfy in order to convict any person in the United States.
1: So we're looking for some kind of willful violation of the law, I guess. Um, I'm going to skip ahead a few steps. Um, How likely is it that he's actually charged by the DOJ for mishandling documents in this instance? Let's call it that.
3: So Julia, in my experience, getting a search warrant is often but not always a precursor to a criminal charge. There's no nationwide database here so we can't say X percent of cases involving search warrants result in charges, but in my experience it's the majority of times when you go get a search warrant, you do end up charging that case. However, of course, this case is not like all the others. We are talking about a former president. All of this, even last night's search warrant are unprecedented. So DOJ is going to To tread very carefully here. If they do bring a charge, they better make sure they have that proof locked up.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the backlash on that politically, um, yes, devastating on a number of uh, reasons or or for a number of reasons. If Trump is found to have violated the law, whether it's on this or something else, because it could be something else perhaps that they find, would that disqualify him for running for the presidency in 2024? Because I guess that's the big question now that, that people are asking.
3: Yeah, that's a great question. So the technical answer is generally no. Believe it or not, under our constitution and laws, a person can be convicted of many different crimes and federal crimes and still run for and actually be the president. However, important to note here, the federal law that relates to mishandling of of certain government documents says that if you are the custodian of that document, meaning if you're the official responsible for that document and you destroy it or intentionally hide it, or conceal it, and you're convicted, A, you could be sentenced to prison up to three years, but B, you can be disqualified from holding future federal office. It's a very rare statute that says that. This statute does. But that said, it's not entirely clear that that law itself is constitutional. If this happened to Donald Trump, he would argue, no, the Constitution sets limits on who can be president. You have to be 35 years old, you have to be a natural born citizen. And it's unconstitutional for Congress to say, if you're convicted of certain crimes, you can't serve as president. So this is a complex legal battle that lies ahead.
1: And it goes back to your point about if you're going to make charges here, then you have to make them stick because it's only going to rally the Republican base who are suggesting once again that this is a witch hunt and they're already doing that. Um, there is a sub subplot here very quickly, Ellie. And aren't we waiting for an imminent decision on, on whether or not the Justice Department will indict Hunter Biden on, on various charges due to his, his uh, business dealings?
3: Yeah, Julia. So that investigation has been pending with DOJ for over two years now. The reporting is that DOJ is nearing a point where they're going to have to make a decision one way or another. If there is a charge, that'll be another unprecedented situation. We would have the United States Department of Justice bringing a criminal case against the son of the sitting president. Another thing we've not seen before. We don't know how that's going to come out, but that will take us into uncharted
1: territory as well. Yeah, we need more words other than unprecedented, don't we? You're running out of them. Um, Ellie, great to have you with us. Thank you. Thanks, Julia. Ellie Honig there, CNN's senior legal analyst and former federal prosecutor. Okay, let's move on. China's military still conducting exercises in waters and skies around Taiwan a week after U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi arrived on the island. The drills were supposed to end over the weekend. At the same time, Taiwan's military says it's holding land-based live fire drills today and Thursday. Selina Wang joins us now on this. Selina, just to explain what's going on, China has extended their military exercises. Taiwan already had those scheduled and are now doing them too.
4: Yeah, Julia, so after Pelosi's visit, Beijing had announced that these military drills would last for several days and end on Sunday. But they have continued, and it's unclear just how long they're going to last for. Now, China's military said these ongoing drills, they're going to focus on joint blockade and joint supply operations. But when we talk about the impact here, many military experts tell me we're not talking about days or weeks here, but we could be talking about months or years-long impact. They say that we are entering a new phase, that Beijing has used Pelosi visit as an excuse to up the ante and over the long term increase, not only the frequency, but the aggressiveness of Beijing's military action around Taiwan. Now, if you look at the size and the scale of these drills, military experts tell me that this indicates they were planned far in advance of Pelosi's visit. But they say her trip provided the perfect opportunity for Beijing to justify going significantly farther than they had in the past. Now, these military drills, they essentially encircle Taiwan in what Beijing is calling a practice blockade. We've seen the military flood the seas and skies around Taiwan with warplanes and ships. For the first time, missiles even went over Taiwan Island. And we are hearing also from Taiwan's foreign minister who said on Tuesday that China is using these military drills as a playbook to prepare for invasion of Taiwan. I just want to pull up a quote from him from what he said at a press conference in Taipei. The foreign minister said, quote, China is conducting large-scale military exercises and missile launches as well as cyber attacks, disinformation, and economic coercion in an attempt to weaken public morale in Taiwan. After the drills conclude, China may try to routinize its action in an attempt to wreck the long-term status quo across the Taiwan Strait. Now, Julie, we have seen Beijing's aggressive actions win a lot of praise at home among the nationalists. It has unified the country amid all of the ongoing COVID and economic challenges we've been talking about for months and months. But of course, it's also further antagonized Taiwan, many of its neighbors and, of course, the U.S.
1: Yes. And it's up the ante to your point. I think it's very important. But speaking of the United States, it was interesting to hear from a Pentagon official yesterday saying, despite what we're seeing in terms of uh, the launching and the missile tests and drills, they've not changed their timeline on where they see potential for China to take military action in Taiwan. And they're still saying it's not going to happen within the next two years. Yeah, exactly. The Pentagon
4: is sticking to its assessment despite all of this provocative activity we're seeing from Beijing. They are saying that Beijing will not try to invade Taiwan in the next two years, sticking to a previous statement they've said. The Pentagon official also added that clearly the PRC is trying to coerce Taiwan and the international community. The Pentagon official said, quote, we're not going to take the bait. We also did hear from U.S. President Joe Biden, and he said that while he is concerned about China's movements around Taiwan, he does think that China is going to do anything more. The backdrop here is that you've got the two superpowers of the world pointing fingers at each other and bickering. China is claiming that the U.S. provoked them, that they're hollowing out, chipping away at the one China policy, while the U.S. claims that it's China that has manufactured this crisis. So we're going to see the U.S.-China bilateral relationship also continue down this downward spiral in the ensuing months as well.
1: Mm. Selena Wang, thank you so much for that. Okay, let me bring you up to speed now with some of the other stories making headlines around the world. A buyer in Lebanon has rejected the first shipment of grain to leave Ukraine since the early days of Russia's invasion. According to the Ukrainian embassy in Lebanon, the buyer refused to accept the cargo on board because delivery had been delayed for five months. The grain ship is now looking for another port to offload its cargo of 26,000 tons of corn. Mexico's president says everything is being done to reach 10 miners trapped in a flooded coal mine since last Wednesday. He visited the site over the weekend and said progress is being made in removing water. More than 550 emergency workers have been deployed to the rescue operation. And flooding in South Korea capital Seoul is being blamed for at least nine deaths and authorities say another six people are missing. Torrential rain caused storm drains to overflow, leaving streets and subway stations underwater. More than 700 shops and homes have reported rising water. More rain is expected in the same area through Thursday. And people in Kenya are voting today in a crucial general election. Polls close in around an hour's time. They're picking a new president. Deputy President William Ruto and veteran opposition leader Raila Odinga are the leading candidates in a race analysts have said could be close. And CNN's Larry Maduro is in Eldoret. Can you for us, Larry? Good to have you with us. It clearly is a pivotal election for the future of the election, uh, for the future of the country. I mean, What's turnout been like so far? Do you have any gauge?
5: We do have some data from the Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission that said that by noon, after six hours of voting. Only about 6.5 million Kenyans had voted. That's about 30% turnout. There's 22.1 million registered voters. And we can see that in real time. This is one of the busiest polling stations in Eldorado, in the city. And the poll officials are waiting for voters. And there are no voters. They have 15 different streams and every single one of them. There are no voters. We have 47 minutes until polls close here. And there's nobody coming to vote. That's a bit of a problem because they expected there should be a higher turnout. In the last election, the first election in 2017, that an 80% turnout, but there seems to have been some voter apathy in this election. Their voter registration numbers were lower, especially among the youth, than they expected last time. And that's also, it appears, showing itself in the number of people turning up to vote here. This is a stronghold of Deputy President William Rutter, who's running for president for the first time. This is people who come from here. He is very well loved here. This is some way he's supposed to get a lot of votes. We'll have to wait and see when they begin to count the votes in about an hour when the polls close. He is up against former prime minister and leader of opposition, Raila Odinga, who's running for the fifth, and last time he says, and he says the man with the experience to turn around the economy. There's been a big economic problem in this country, partly because of the impact of the pandemic, partly because of the impact of the Ukraine war, partly because of the drought hitting parts of the country, the surging inflation. Some... Common commodities have gone up by as much as 100% in the past few months. There's rampant unemployment here. The country's saddled with debt. These are some of the things that the candidates have been talking about, trying to turn around the economy. And so you'd think there'd be a motivation for people to come out here and vote. We don't seem to see that. Let me show you here, Julia. They closed out an entire street to allow people to vote. In the morning when we were here, there were a couple of people, maybe a hundred couple hundred people in several lines. Now, it's mostly empty. Even the security forces, People kind of milling around, wondering why is it that there aren't more people here. But maybe when the final number is announced, when the whole poll schools around the nation, will get a better sense of the turnout, but still really concerning this, what appears to be depressed turnout, Julia.
1: Mm, Fascinating to see what's going on there. Larry, we'll continue to come back to you throughout programming today and we'll see what happens. Larry Medeo, for now, thank you so much for that report. Okay, straight ahead. From gig worker to all-star employee, Air Asia offers its super app workers a full-time job. Capital A's, Tony Fernandez explains why. And semiconductor splurge as President Biden prepares to sign the landmark Chips Act, Indie Semiconductor CEO on what it means for his company. That's all coming up. Stay with us. High fives, fist pumps and celebrations there at the New York Stock Exchange. U.S. stocks are up and running on this Tuesday U.S. morning. And a softer start to the trading day. Wall Street under a bit of pressure with all prices firming up. Amid new European supply concerns, bond yields also ticking higher, too, ahead of tomorrow's big inflation print in the United States. Prices expected to have eased a little in July, due in part to falling energy prices. So we shall see when that data comes out tomorrow morning in the United States. For now, the Federal Reserve getting some encouraging news on prices yesterday, too, showing consumers' inflation expectations dropped sharply last month. Remember, the big fear at the Fed is that inflation is getting embedded into future expectations, making it all the harder to control in the future. Now, the tech sector is the big loser in today's trade after a revenue warning for memory chip maker Micron, Micron warning of softer demand for chips used in PCs and in smartphones, NVIDIA, which warned on revenue yesterday, is extending Monday's 6% decline, as you can see, off almost a further 2.5%. Shares of both firms already down more than 30% year to date, just to give you some perspective on that. Now it's been a busy 24 months for the company once known as Air Asia. In 2020, it launched a super app offering a one-stop shop for food delivery, ride hailing, fintech, and of course, travel services. The company says it has 51 million users across Asia. The app has been downloaded 40 million times. The new name of Capital A was chosen to reflect the diversification and changes. And with the super app now in growth mode, the company has taken the unusual step of making gig workers who provide ride hailing and food delivery services into full-time employees. A guaranteed income and benefits are part of the package. Joining us now to discuss what's going on, Tony Fernandez, Chief Executive Officer of Capital A and Acting Group CEO of Air Asia X. Tony, great to have you on the show as always. Thanks. Let's Thanks start. For
6: having
1: me, great to have you with us. Let's start by talking about the gig workers. How many workers are we talking about making into full-time employees? And give us the rationale.
7: Well, we started small. Um, we've had, uh, we started with 20, um, we've had a thousand applications since it was announced. Uh, and so we're going to s- scale up quite rapidly. Uh, reason behind the same reason when I started the airline 21 years ago, you know, in 20 years or 21 years, we haven't had a single day of industrial action. We don't have a single union when we have 21,000 staff. I've always said, if you put people first, productivity will be the best. We have the best fuel burn in the world was our pilots care. And so I felt there was a big disconnect between how gig workers were treated by, um, these companies. And I felt that if I, uh, and my company looked after these workers and treated them the same way we did for cabin crew or pilots or ramp handlers, then productivity would be in- increased. And we've already seen that with the uh, small amount of drivers that we've had and the huge response. And we think, that will be a huge productivity and cost advantage to us in um, ride hailing and food delivery.
1: Just to be clear, are you going to have some full-time employees but still allow those that want to remain flexible to be flexible yes. delivery? Yes,
7: we, yeah, yeah, so you're offering I mean, that, both options. We're offering both options. Mm. Um, I would say the majority of what we're seeing is people who want to be full-time. They want to get the full benefits of uh, being in capital A. And uh, we're seeing a lot of pride, a lot of uh, loyalty already, even though it's very short, and uh, huge productivity increases.
1: Do you think this is going to become the model, perhaps, for other gig economy companies in the future? I mean, you've got some big competitors in the region, Grab, Food Panda, for example, if I just name a couple, offering flexibility to those that want it, work whatever hours they want. They can click on if they want to. They can do something else if they don't. But also to provide full-term employment. Um, should those people want the security and the benefits?
7: Yeah, the, the, the reality is, a lot of these people have become full time employees, so sh- they should be treated as full time employees, mm. and uh, and the companies will benefit from productivity. But there'll be some who do want to have it as a part time, so that's why we have both. Interestingly enough, I received, uh, well, our company received a gift from Food Panda today, welcoming us into their uh, um, field and level field of competition, and and said you bring great ideas to the business. So maybe they thought what we were doing was a great idea and maybe they'll implement it.
1: Do you think that was them being cheeky or, or them actually acknowledging that uh, perhaps pro- they've taken a hit
7: probably a, <laughs> probably a little bit cheeky. Let's see where they <laughs> grab sends me a present.
1: Yeah, a bit of free PR. Um, the other thing you offer is training. So it is, in a way, a, a sort of avenue route via becoming a full-time employee, perhaps to other options, and other opportunities within the business, too, because you you know these people better. You know what their skill sets are. I think that's important absolutely. to get back I to your mean, point. Yeah.
7: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we've been famous for taking dispatch boys and girls and making them pilots. People who are checking in staff and our engineers. Talent is our biggest asset. I mean, it's, it's, it's readily thrown around a lot, but we really use it. And You know, because of economic disparity, just because you may not have had an education because you didn't have the right financial background, uh, doesn't mean you're not uh, super smart. So we are good at turning raw diamonds into diamonds. And I'm sure many of our riders and drivers will, will move on to bigger and better things within the AirAsia Group, Capital A Group, as many others have. And that is our strength and will continue to be our strength in developing people.
1: It's hard to uh, price goodwill and productivity in many respects. Is it going to net cost you money if you Um, don't quantify the benefits that are fluffier?
7: Yeah, we've had 21 years of it. You quantify it by, I think, three things I can say which are very real. One is we've never had a strike. We've never had industrial action. We've never had to negotiate collectively. Um, there's been huge transparency in a business which has had rife with uh, unions and internal strife. Uh, so that that's a real quantification. And you can see in our cost structure, we're the lowest cost airline in the world by far, and that's because of high productivity. I think the second thing is COVID, you know, that the goodwill we built even with our passengers. While there is a minority that have complained a lot about taking a long time for us to get refunds, of our passengers said, look, you've been great with us. Um, We know you're in trouble. Uh, We'll take a credit shell. And so a lot of that has come from the way AirAsia has treated people in our company and treated our guests. So, you know, many people would laugh at the fluffiness, but there is huge intangible benefits in the way we run our company.
1: Yeah, he who laughs last laughs longest, Um, Tony. Um, mm. Let's talk about the airline business because it has been challenging. I know you're furiously getting all the planes back to capacity, and you've said 100% capacity by March 2023. I think an 80% recovery now in, in domestic travel, but international remains, as everybody knows, I think, still a huge challenge. Talk us through what you're seeing.
7: So, so for us, we have you know we we have different issues from Europe and America. Airports mm. are um, have enough work supply, bar one or two. Um, And uh, for us, you know, we have a huge fleet of 205 planes, Uh, getting them serviced and getting them back operationally has been a huge challenge. Today was a big day for us. We crossed 100 planes. We're now 108 planes. Load factor is very strong. Um, We hope by the end of the year, we'll have 180 planes. And then by by the first quarter, all our planes flying. We've kept our pilots current. We've kept our crew current so that we don't have any manpower issues and they will all Um, get into the operation as the planes come out so our big challenge over this last 12 months have been one borders reopening which they principally are apart from North Asia and um, getting planes in the sky and our team have done a fantastic job to get 108 and uh, business is strong and you know long may that continue as we get uh, the other 100 planes back in the air.
1: Mm. And and you said AirAsia will be profitable in, in 2023. I just wonder also for the other side of the businesses, you're growing, you're diversifying, you've got a lot going on, big pay, the digital side of the business as well. Um, it sort of all ties to a question about that you've discussed briefly, let's be clear, about a potential U.S. listing, two separate listings, actually, for, for, for the business. And I just wondered, can you combine all those things for me and talk about the kind of benchmarks required in your mind in order to go, OK, we're ready perhaps to come and do a listing in the United States yeah. in whatever form? Uh,
7: yeah, I think we've got to show that. I mean, we're very keen on a U.S. listing. Uh, we think it's, it's, it's the home of the best capital and the best research and, and talent to understand businesses. We also think the US understands Southeast Asia much much better, especially recently. Um, and a uh, benchmark for me is to prove our cost structure is in place, to prove that the airline recovery is uh, in full force, and, um, and that we are able to generate f- good free cash flow, and uh, strong profit growth. I think those are the benchmark for the airline and frankly for the other businesses that we're looking at. We've got the airline, we've got a very good engineering business, um, we've got two strong digital businesses and a wonderful logistics business which Mm. just had kind of been neglected by us because we were so passenger focused and as an LCC but really we think we can do to logistics services what we did to passenger services and that's extremely exciting for us.
1: Yeah, as always, I always say it to you and I I think I get repetitive that you have a lot going on. You always do. And I remember a year ago, I was congratulating you on the birth of your daughter as well. So I just want to say, as I think as we approach her first birthday, um, happy birthday to her on that. And um, can we also talk about your dancing? Because you did do an Instagram video (laughs) when you were talking about this, this gig worker transition. I think we can show it. Oh, look, we've got some other people. Um, We have to we have to see your dancing. Tony, can we talk about your dancing?
7: (laughs) Oh, well. I'm am I'm a happy-go-lucky guy, and I'll celebrate in any which way I can. That's <laughs> yes. a great way of expressing. After the three years that I've been through, I think I should be allowed to uh, celebrate in, in yes. probably more different ways than most CEOs would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: well, that's you. <laughs> great to have you with us. Tony, <laughs> thank me. you. We'll chat again soon. Pleasure. To Thanks very much. Thank you The Chief Executive Officer of Capital A and Acting Group, CEO of AirAsiaX X, there. Thank you. Okay, breaking news now. Just into CNN, tennis great Serena Williams has announced her impending retirement. Williams posted on Instagram that the countdown has begun. Serena Williams has won 23 Gland Slam championships more than anyone else in history. She's expected to compete in the US Open in around three weeks' time. We're back up to this. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. Haiti is spiraling deeper into crisis following the assassination of its president last year. Inflation is estimated to be running at 30% and there are shortages of fuel and food as armed gangs take control in much of the capital. CNN's international security editor Nick Payton-Walsh traveled with a SWAT team in Port-au-Prince.
6: The descent into the abyss in Haiti is fastest here. The one certainty is when the police SWAT team we are with cross into gang territory, they will take fire. It is now a blunt war for control of the capital. The police need to prove they can be here, the gangs that the police cannot. And it is ordinary citizens who are caught in between. Here, a passenger on a civilian bus that was hit in the street. In the days before, police said they've rescued six hostages in this same area and killed a leader of the 400 Mawazor gang. But the police struggle to hold ground, so the gangs, whose currency is kidnapping and drugs, are gaining far too much. Especially right here. Rounds hit the armored vehicle. They think they see where the gunmen are. They run but not like it's their first time under fire, perhaps even this day. They slide back. Perhaps the gang have fled down the alley. It's this kind of intense violence that so many cite when they talk. About a spiral towards collapse. The firepower they bring doesn't in itself change who's in control. Gangs are able to block main roads at will with trucks. And it requires a major operation to clear them. Gangs now often match or outgun the police. They have a bulldozer too, demolishing rivals' houses in one area, Cité Soleil. Locals fled at night during 10 days of clashes in July that left over 470 dead, injured or missing, said the UN, as the G9 gang expanded control, burning and demolishing. Those who survived Fled nights here where a mix of flies and rain stopped
2: them
5: from even sleeping. <laughs>
6: To see where acute desperation can lead, we travel to where what's left of the government rarely treads. Don't be fooled by the beauty. There is no paradise here. Only hunger, heat, trash and the business of leaving. Traffickers' boats out to the Bahamas, Cuba, Florida if you're lucky. And while these places are sending Haitians back in record numbers, The U.S. Coast Guard is also stopping four times as many this year as last. These exits are what Johnny arranges.
7: If we die, we die. If we make it, we make it. I'm the one who buys the boat. It can cost up to $15,000. We're hoping to get 250 people for the next trip because the boat is big.
6: Not everyone made it on their last trip three months ago.
7: The boat had an engine problem. Water got inside the boat, we called for help, but it took too long. 29 people died on that trip. These aren't people who
6: usually share their trade secrets, but maybe now they're relaxed as the authorities are busy. The boat is ageing. Scraps of net plugging holes. Engines not fixed yet. But this is where Johnny hopes 250 people will huddle maybe as early as next week. I mean, not really something you want to be in on dry land, let alone out at sea, for days. One man tells us why he saved for a year to get into here. I graduated and worked as a teacher, he says, but it did not work out. Now I am driving a motorcycle every day in the sun and the dust. How will I be able to take care of my family? When I have one, I'm not afraid. I will be eaten by a shark or make it to America. A hope so remote, it could only exist here, where they say the choice is between fire and water, even if all day, every day, already feels like drowning. Nick Peyton walsh CNN, Port-au-Prince, Haiti.
1: And welcome back to First Move. The meme team is back in the green and reigning supreme. Momentum stocks aping the oversized gains that made headlines a few years ago. I'm talking about shares of stocks like AMC for one, up more than 55% over the past month. AMC, the cinema chain, announcing a so-called ape special dividend that some might feel is better called monkey business. Paula Monica joins us now on this. Just to be clear for our viewers, we're talking AMC, GameStop. Remember the GameStop saga, Bed, Bath and Beyond was another one. Is this completely bananas? Because if we bring it back to the fundamentals once again, Paul, um, I mean, these guys are set to lose money this year and next, I believe. All of them.
8: Yeah, yeah. It is uh, a bit crazy. I think that uh, Wall Street insanity uh, is uh, a constant and it's alive and well. But to be fair to some of the retail traders that are trying to squeeze the short sellers that are betting against these uh, companies – when you look at AMC for example AMC does benefit from the fact that we've had a pretty solid summer for the you know for Hollywood and that is good news for AMC GameStop I think has done a lot with Ryan Cohen the uh, chewy founder now is its chairman really trying to latch on to the NFT trend with gaming and hopefully boosting its business there but these moves are so sudden that you can't help, Julia, but think that it is about this army of Reddit apes that wants to inflict pain on those short sellers who are fairly looking at the fundamentals and recognizing that, hey, these are companies that aren't profitable and may not be profitable for some time. Why should they be valued at these prices? And you know that's why Wall Street is this great debate of, of sellers and buyers.
1: And let's just be clear for context before someone complains to us. The, the meme stock fans themselves call themselves apes. So we're, we're, we're we not, are we're not
8: now. using it as a derogatory Whoa. term by any stretch of the yes. imagination. It God. is the nickname to the point that AMC is even having a preferred stock dividend right. that is going to trade under the ticker symbol of APE. So, you know, CEO Adam Aaron at AMC really going all in on this phenomenon. Responsible.
1: to to buy into this?
8: I think if you are a short-term trader that recognizes the risks Mm. and knows that you might have to be in and out of these stocks quickly, it could make sense. But some of the hopes and dreams of the Reddit crowd that these three stocks in particular will one day be retail leaders in an industry that is evolving rapidly, I, I think that that might be a bit misguided. I understand why the short sellers are betting against these companies. Let's just put it that way.
1: Yeah, that's so funny. So I, I was talking about responsible on the part of the executive um, committee sort of leaning into this meme stock phase and you chose to um, answer on the investors, which actually says something well, about our yeah, brains. I mean, I, We're running yeah,
3: out of time. I but I'm but I'm think it does make sense up. for
8: AMC CEO to pay homage, if you will, to mm. a class of investors mm. that is clearly supporting this company. Why not? If, if institutional investors are shorting you, go where the love is. Totally.
1: Drink the Kool-Aid. It's banana flavored. Paula Monica, thank you so much for that. <laughs> Too much fun on the show. That's it for the show. Connect the World is up next. I'll see you tomorrow.
0: When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night.